Ghost of Radio. Welcome. It's episode 11 of this podcast, and we've been on a roll lately with some very good episodes. You know, the cauldron started out being a little ill-tempered. It was giving us some episodes that weren't very impressive, but we've had quite a few top-notch shows so far. So let's see what the cauldron has for us today. Oh man, it continues. Your episode is The Thing on the Forble Board from Quiet Please. Your episode is famous. The Thing on the Forble Board. F-O-U-R-B-L-E from Quiet Please. You can find this in a lot of places. Relic Radio, Internet Archive, the quietplease.org site. Lots of places to listen to this episode. Classic episode the thing on the formal board. Single, double, treble, forble. Well, the narrator will explain all of this to you, so go listen. And make sure you have something on hand to recover with. See you soon. Okay, you are back from listening to the thing on the formal board. You know, when it's Halloween and you're online looking for scariest stories, You don't even have to be on an old-time radio website to find some site that will mention the thing on the Forble board. This is a famous episode. Stephen King has said he listened to it as a child, and it scared the pants off of him and was a contributing factor in his decision to become a horror writer. It is a great episode for the two usual reasons for Quiet Please. It's well-written and... It is incredibly horrible. Like so many episodes of Quiet Please, this is told by your narrator in flashback. Everything you're hearing has already happened. You are at the end of, you're coming in in the last moments, the concluding scene of a horror. And like the greatest of horror radio episodes, you are going to be drawn into that. You are not sitting safely outside of it. This narrator has paid the price for being a witness to these events. You've listened, right? You know this. I'm not spoiling it for you. With his sanity. But you won't even really notice that moment in the story because you are so caught up in the horror of what they're telling. Ah, let's just dive right in. I will make one small note, which is the recording of this episode cuts off Ernest Chapel as he begins the episodes the way they always began, of saying, Quiet, please. Quiet, please. So I have provided that for you just now. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called The Thing on the Purple Board. Me, I'm a roughneck. Well, I was a roughneck, I mean, 20 years ago, a little too old, too slow now. Besides, I got a dollar now, I don't have to be a roughneck, you see. Married, got a nice home, 
Have to meet my wife. Hey, Mike. Her name's Maxine, but she likes to be called Mike. Mike! I guess she's busy out in the kitchen someplace. Besides, she doesn't hear very well. Shame, too, she's so pretty and everything. Well, you'll meet her. Sit down. Oh, you come to fear and dread the words, sit down, in the great horror radio shows. There are two in particular on Quiet Please. This is one of them. Sit down. Have a seat, especially if you're offered a drink. Why don't you have a drink? Have a couple of drinks. You are being placed into a trap, and you don't know it. You are not listening to this story for the good of your health or your narrators. You're listening to the story so that you can become a part of it. It's creepy, just the way he says, sit down. Is it any creepier, though, than the way he talks about his wife, Mike? It's a shame she's so hard of hearing. She's so pretty. Oh, well, you'll meet her. But before you do, you get a lot of technical information. A lot, a lot. This episode, I would say at least a third of it, is just technical information about oil rigs and drilling core samples. And somehow it works because you realize that it is just somebody clinging to details and data and facts as a brace against horror. Sometimes radio shows really go astray. They try so hard to set up a totally normal circumstance so that then the horror will hit you harder that they devote the entire show to the totally normal circumstance and kind of forget the horror and it has to be tacked on at the end. Say that uh, someone's fiancé is going to be killed by a ghost in a 28-minute story. 19 minutes of the story is taken up with everyday conversation between the couple just to show how normal things are. And it's really boring. It's time-wasting. It's like if you're pretending not to eavesdrop and you pretend so hard, you know, looking at a book, walking around, that you actually forget to listen and eavesdrop, that's what happens. But that doesn't happen here. First, Ernest Chappell is just such a great radio actor. You could basically listen to him talk about anything. But also, you know that all this fact is just uh, window dressing for horror. It's kind of like when you're a child and you go to the doctor and you sit in the fun chair with that's pink or yellow or something, and there's cartoon characters, and they tell you about the sticker you're going to get, but you know that there's a shot coming. And in a way, they tell you to sit down in much the same way that our narrator just did. But let's go ahead and meet Billy. Ah, poor Billy. And have a scene, you know, it's very leisurely. They are not rushing. You know, we sit and listen to them talk about dinner and pork chops a hundred times, yet Again, it works, and it's just setting you up with more knowledge about the narrator that's going to make what happens even worse. We'd been coring just before. Well, you see, a, a core drill is hollow, and as the bit digs down, it stuffs the drillings up inside it, so when you pull it out, you got a sample of the kind of stuff you're going through. And a geologist can tell a lot from that. So there's nobody around the rig except me that night. The rest of the crew's going into town. I was toasting some pork chops over the forge for myself, but I heard a car pulling up. Look out, it's Billy Grunewald, the geologist. Then I give him a hello. Hi, Billy, come and have a pork chop. Hi, Porky. Uh, where's everybody? They all went to town. I'm the whole crew. 
You know, I had three blowouts between here and Oxnard. Yeah, I wondered where you was. Ted said you'd be in here about three. Yeah, I would have been, except for my tough luck. Oh, oh I'm dead. Yeah, hungry? Starved. Yeah, I got six, no, oh, seven pork chops. And bread. And some coffee, kind of. Swell. Yeah, I got a bottle in the car. <laughs> We're going to have a banquet. Hey, where's that core? That's what I came up here to look at. Yeah, back there on the bench. Look at it after supper. Hey. What? Didn't you say you were all alone here? Uh-huh. I thought I heard somebody talking. Yeah. I don't see anybody. We'll keep an eye on that pork chop. You won't have any supper. Yeah, I'm watching it. Yeah, let me put the coffee on. Like so. When did you finish cementing? This morning. Last tower only made about ten feet of hole, so Ted shut down before we get flooded out of house and home. Funny about that water. Mm, how? Oughtn't to be any at that level, according to my figuring. Well, there is. Is it salt? Sure, right out of the bottom of the ocean. Hmm, that's funny. Well, maybe I'll be able to tell something from the core. Yeah, I hope so. The last core I looked at, I'd have sworn we were getting into shale. Mm, ain't seen none yet from the cuttings. That's funny. Here, your pork chop's done. Yeah, take some bread. Yeah, thanks. Oh, man. Good, huh? <laughs> yeah, put on another. I had two already before you come. Yeah, I'm much obliged. You're really drawn into this little setting, and you really feel their aloneness. Just the two guys all alone on this oil rig, sort of. Not really. But they draw such a, a good picture of it that one horror intrudes into it it's more impactful. And you really get to like Porky as a person, our main narrator. He's a nice guy. He's nice to Billy. And his empathetic response when Billy talks about how he's afraid to be up on that rig all alone in the dark is not just, you know, foreshadowing of horror to come, but it makes you like him more. And again, this is just going to make it worse when you see what happens to him. What's eating you? you? You know, I'd have sworn there's somebody up there in that portable board. Ah, you're crazy. There's nobody up there. Getting against those stands of drill pipes. Ah, they're just rack crooked. One of them slipped. Come on back and eat your pork chop. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Only I... Ah, what you so jittery about, Billy? Come on, eat your sandwich. Here. Yeah, well, thanks, Porky. I don't know. I, I'm just naturally that way, I guess. I'm always scared of the dark. I'm scared. Doggone it, I... I hate to be a baby, but I can't help it. Scared of the dark? Honest? Stupid, ain't it? Oh, I don't know. Everybody's scared of something. Me? Spiders scare the tar out of me. Black widows. Oh. <laughs> I know how you feel, Billy. So, inevitably, they find what they find in this core that's been brought up from three miles below the earth and millions and millions of years ago, there is something there that should not be. What's the matter, Billy? Hey, come here. Look here. Well, what's it? Look, Porky. My... Where did you find that? Now, listen, Porky, I give you my word. That was embedded in the core. Why, it couldn't be. I tell you, it was. Look where I dug it out. You know what? That rock there comes from a mile underground. And it's been a mile underground for a million years. And look at this. 
And I did look. And what he was holding was a gold ring. And it was all carved and filigreed, just like jewelry. And there wasn't any kidding about it. It was real. Things go from bad to worse, right? They're scared by what they find. There's a stone finger attached to this ring that is actually invisible when you touch it. They get drunk. Porky falls asleep. He wakes up. Billy is dead with a finger missing. <sighs> Porky's scared. He leaves the rig. He spends the night in Billy's car. The police come in the morning and question him, but Ted, the guy who runs the rig, says, that was just an accident. Time is money. Let's get to work. And from this point on, the matter-of-fact details that are being told to us by the narrator begin to merge completely with the horrible so that there is no distinction between them. And when he describes Ted being killed the minute they start work again on the rig, it's just the beginning of the very technical, very matter-of-fact details becoming fully blended with the horror. And this is particularly powerful when Porky goes back to the abandoned rig two days after it's shut down after the accident with Ted because he describes it so well, so vividly. You can see that abandoned oil rig without using any kind of super descriptive language, right? This is not your Composition 101 use of figurative language. He's going to describe it very simply but painfully effectively and that is going to keep going even as the complete horror is finally revealed. Well, that was enough. Two accidents in a row. The whole crew quit. They, they wasn't going to wait for a third. And it was Ted's money that was paying off. There wasn't any more. And as far as I know, the abandoned Derek is still there. And that was 20 years ago. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. That traveling block was right in front of my face when it broke loose. It was hanging by steel cable, three-quarter inch steel cable. And I saw that cable break right before my eyes. It looked just like a piece of string when you snap it between your fingers. I could almost see the fingers. And you know what? There was something up there on the forble board with me. So a couple of days later, I came back. I, I don't know if there's anything in the world as desolate, as dismal, as dead-looking as an abandoned oil well rig. There it stands like a skeleton off on a deserted side road in the bare yellow hill surrounding it, and, and it's the deadest thing you ever saw. I sat in my car for a long time looking at it. Everything was just the way we'd left it. I, I looked in at the floor. The smashed traveling block was there alongside the rotary table. There was a little mutter of steam from the boiler. That was all. Then I heard a tinkle of something as it hit the ground alongside me. I looked around. There wasn't a soul in sight. But at my feet was the gold ring that Billy Grunewald and I had found in the core of rock that came from a mile underground and from a million years ago in time. Never before, I think, has the word tinkle been used to produce a sense of horror but it certainly happens here. From this point onward, we are in deep, and I'm just going to let the show take over and speak for itself.
And I heard a little sound. The sound of a kid crying. And there wasn't any kid up there. And I heard it again, and it came from above my head, and, and I... And I took out my revolver. I loaded it carefully. I started up the ladder to the forbel board. Well, there wasn't anything up there, nothing I could see. But there was a voice crying. The voice of a little kid. And then there was a movement behind the rack of drill pipes, and I saw the pipe move, and I yelled, Come out of there, whoever you are! Come out, or I'll start shooting! And the stand of pipes shivered, and I thought, What can it be that can handle that heavy pipe like, like Jack Straws? What can it be? This is a great instance of superlative sound effect work that is clearly just an unaided human voice. They don't put it through any distortion. They don't put any filters on it. It's just somebody making an unholy sound. And you'll notice that throughout this episode, there's the usual Quiet Please use of the organ to act as an emphasis. Usually in Quiet Please, you hear the organ after the narrator has said something important, just to emphasize it, like, then I saw his ghost. Here, as we get into it, there is no other sound than the narrator's voice and the thing. There's no music to create drama. There's very little music throughout this entire episode, not even the organ. You are left without that sort of human thing to cling to as things get worse and worse. And I was alone on the forbo board with the thing. But I couldn't see it. I felt the platform tremble under my feet again as something moved toward me. I fired two or three shots. And nothing happened. I started backwards. I knew it was following me because I could hear it meowing like a cat. My feet tripped over something. I saw it was a big can of red lead that somebody had left up there. Without thinking, I picked it up and I threw it at the sound and it splashed. And there it was. And I wish I... I wish... The face of a little girl, frightened, crying with hunger and terror. Hands like a human being and a finger missing from the left hand. And a body... I'll tell you about that. I told you how I'm scared of spiders. But I knew where it came from. It had come from the bowels of the earth, come riding up on the drill pipe as we yanked it out of the well, come to an alien world, and was lost. It stood there dripping with red paint, blood red from head to foot like some horrible dream. And it put its hand on my arm. Its hand was stone. Living, moving stone. And it looked into my eyes and mewed like a lost kitten. And that is it. That understated bit of organ marks the point at which Porky, our gentle narrator, loses his mind when the thing puts its hand on his arm and locks eyes with him and who wouldn't who wouldn't go crazy in that moment 
but you don't really perceive it the first time you listen because you are so into the story, you just want to hear what happens next. And you think maybe it will be that the thing attacks him, like kills him like it killed Porky. If only, if only the narrator could be as lucky as Porky. Twenty years ago, I discovered many things about it, what it used for food, that it was deaf, that it was invisible and couldn't see people when it was invisible. That if you sprayed it with mud or paint or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. And believe me, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face. I can't help wanting to see that pathetic little girl face. I'm afraid maybe I've fallen. But it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... But making it up, rubbing grease paint on a stone face that looks at you and smiles and it makes sounds like a lost kitten yet. I can disguise the body in long dresses. She can't hear very well. And when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, no, sit still. Sit still, do. Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike. Mike. There she is. Come on in, dear. Maybe somehow the worst part of all that is him saying 20 years. It was 20 years ago. That means that for 20 years, this man has been so deeply insane living with the thing on the formal board that is his wife now that he puts makeup on. He bought a house. Like a realtor walked him around and listened to him talk about how his wife would like it, though she couldn't be there right now. Or maybe that realtor mysteriously disappeared shortly after showing him that house. 20 years of madness. You are not the first person who has been invited in to hear Porky's story about being a roughneck and to meet his wife. So well done. So well done and impactful in the moment. Let's listen to the first part of the credits where you can hear Ernest Chapel trying to come down from where he's been, from being up there with the thing on the Forble board. The title of tonight's Quiet Please story is The Thing on the Furble Board. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper and featured Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Billy Grunwald. Pat O'Malley was Ted. And Cecil Roy was also a member of the cast. They go on to talk about what next week's story is going to be. And then they do the usual outro where everything should be all done. But if you listen very carefully, you can hear kind of nervous, embarrassed laughter still as they re react and respond to the thing that they have created. It starts right after Willis Cooper says, presto changeo, I'm sure. Now for the word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Well, I'm reasonably sure that all the characters in tonight's stories were completely fictional. At least I, for one, hope so. Next week, the story is called Presto Changeo, I'm sure. 
you can tell it's Ernest Chappell laughing, and why shouldn't he feel a little shaken after having just inhabited the character Porky? That is the thing on the forble board, and I think when rating its horror impact, we give it a forble. That is it for this week on The Ghost of Radio. You know, you heard me complain during episode 9, The Trap, that Agnes Moorhead's most famous episode is always sorry, wrong number, when it's not as great as The Trap. Sometimes the most famous episode isn't that good. This is an instance where a famous episode is deserving of its fame. So I know that you enjoyed it. Now we have to go. We have to go back down to the treble, the double, the single board, get into Billy's car and try to start it so we can drive away. Until you get back safely home, I hope that you can remain happy and unmarried. And I'll see you soon. <laughs>